My name's Chris Peterson. I'm an independent, sustainable family farmer from Clear Lake, Iowa. You're listening to Q4 Radio. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Oh, you don't eat meat? You don't eat meat? No meat, for real. So, why? Why? Why are you a vegetarian? Did something happen to you? What about fish? Shrimp? Is there anything here you can eat? Should we go somewhere else? What would happen if you ate You can eat that, right? Don't you miss me? Don't you wish there was meat in that? How can you not eat bacon? It's bacon. Are you ever full? Is it okay if I eat this in front of you? Aren't we meant to eat meat? Don't you just crave meat? How do you get enough protein? Aren't you worried about an iron deficiency? You want a bite, don't you? If you're stranded on a desert island. If you're stranded on a desert island. And the only thing there was meat. No grass. No greens. Meat. Would you eat it? So is this about animal rights? Are you against leather? Did you know that Moby is a vegan? Do you eat animal crackers? What about hush puppies? What about these guys? They got a smile. Do you eat them? Oh, look, they have french fries. You can eat that, right? Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete-encrusted banks of the north branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show. Still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Nothing stopping him from running for president, except for the fear of getting shin splints. Here he is, Mike Novak. Mike, check. One, two, three. All right, everybody stand by. Let's do it right on the beat. One more time! Wow, that was good. You guys actually figured that out. I like that. All right. Welcome, uh, one and all, to the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio, 1680 AM, whatever that means. Uh, and uh, the carpet's still here. <laughs> The the uh, the waterlogged carpet is still in the uh, studio, but it's not waterlogged anymore. It seems to have dried out. I'm not sure what they did. Probably ran the air conditioning. All some, that's what I'm thinking. Tissues in your nostrils. Um, the what? Put some tissue paper in your. Nostrils. Well, don't go. What I'm saying is, don't go crawling on the floor here. Okay. Uh, for those of you uh, who are wondering what to what we're referring. Uh, there was a bit of a, a flood in uh, the building last week. We we broadcast last week. Okay, you got to understand how last week worked because <laughs> we broadcast live. I don't know if we can explain that. I'm not sure we can either. But we did broadcast live from uh, Christy Weber Landscapes Farm and Garden Center. And where's the beer dinger? It's the, over there, George. George, get the beer dinger over here. We can't. Okay, here's that's the other dinger. That's the mimosa dinger. That's a mimosa dinger. I like that. Oh, it's broken. <laughs> took it out. It got flooded. Oh, we're stuck with the other ding. No beer ding this morning. Okay. Uh, the dinger's missing. Uh, <sighs> Who takes the Turk? dinger? Turk. 
<laughs> Bill Turk, if you're listening, we need a new beer digger. Oh. Oh, there Ooh. you go. How did you do that? Oh. It had been taped. Why? I don't know. All right. We got it back. What kind of monster would do that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. See what happens to George when he loses the facial hair. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you should see. George is, uh, looks like he's about 16 yeah, today. I've got a baby face without the hair. Uh, although I've had uh, some of my friends say, who's that guy? Who's the guy? <laughs> so who's, who's, who's the, 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 that, that hunk of man there in the studio? So. All, right. <laughs> All right, George, I'm going to take your picture, and you're going to have to post it. All right. I can strike a pose. Strike a pose. That's pretty disgusting. That's pretty <laughs> that was pretty I'm, dumb. It looked like I was Let's talking. Close, close your mouth, okay? <laughs> Don't pose. Just why did you tell him to pose? All right. I wanted to look like okay. I was conveying a strong message. So last week, rights. last week there were, uh, as you know, those crazy rains, and um, uh, the place got flooded because a pipe broke here. And it wasn't just us. It was you know because we're on the second floor here, and I thought, well, how could you flood on the second floor? And as it turns out, uh, everything flooded in this building, or a lot of it. I, I, did you see on the way up today that mm-hmm. the walls are ripped out and they're they're going in for the mold? And yes. Are you doing it all? Yeah, you got to. Um, where's Ron Cowgill when you need him? <laughs> Ron, this would have been a job for you, dude. Uh, and um, and so we come in here, and of course the station's down, and we're 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 like running, we're we're like plugging stuff in here and trying to figure out how to turn everything on, and because. It's like seven thirty in the morning, right? Seven thirty, and we're we're supposed to be at Christy Weber at nine a.m. to start the show, um, and uh, uh, and there's nothing. It's like nothing. So finally, uh, George gets in here, and uh, John from the station gets in here, and he plugs it. And, and actually, the station went live at eight forty-five, uh, pretty much about around eight forty-five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we did that remote broadcast from Christy Weber Farm and Garden. Uh, and it had no business being on the air. I mean, I mean, not no. The content was great. It's because the tech was, uh, you know, ch- chicken chicken wire and chewing gum, and maybe some silly putty. MacGyvered it. Uh, it was totally MacGyvered. I think at thirty seconds before we went on, we were still plugging things in. We were plugging things in. I was uh, electrocuted. And uh, <laughs> that's because you're walking around in bare feet. I told you, not on this rug. You're going to have to use, what's that foot powder? Tough actin' to Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, we got the show on, and we were like, yay, it was great. Christy was her usual crazy self and out, opinionated, outspoken. She ripped into like a bunch of people, <laughs> which was really cool. Uh, and uh, we had some great information on the show. Anna Maria Leon and was there. Leon. And uh, uh, and uh, Shockey, Shockey Funk from uh, Metropolitan Farms was there and talked about aquaponics. And we went, wow, great show. We get back, the audio recorder had malfunctioned. We have no record of this incredible show that we pulled out of thin air, basically. I was going to say we pulled it from someplace else, but that's not, uh, not good. Uh, so... We didn't get a podcast last week, which is really frustrating, but, you know, this is why you need to listen live. Okay, folks? You want those memories. 
And this ain't a wedding where, where we're just going to take photos forever, and then you don't actually have to participate in the wedding as long as you have photos of it that you can look back at. You got to remember it live. It's like theater. Okay? You have to experience it in the moment. That's right. That's how that works. Here, so, cup of coffee in hand, getting ready for breakfast, listening live. So tell your friends uh, right now they better tune in to Q4 Radio. Uh, you can, you can, well, you know, I, if I'm talking to you now, you're already listening, so I'm not going to tell you how to do it, okay? But you can tell your friends that they can go to MikeNovak.net or uh, Q4.org, or they can go to Q4 Facebook page and stream live from there. Uh, and meanwhile, we hope you uh, you tweet to us at Mike Now, or go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook, or go to the Mike Novak Show on Instagram. <laughs> And uh, and be part of what we're doing here. You can also call in to the program depending on who we've got on the air at uh, any given time. Because um, would you like that number? Uh, yeah, that number is three one two nine eight five seven eight three four. There we go. Uh, and we got a reason for you to call and tweet and write today because we've got all these experts on talking about gardening and food production in the city of Chicago, urban gardening, uh, and even gardening out at the Chicago Botanic Garden. It's one of your bosses, George. It's going to be here on the show. Oh, God. One of the honchos is here. So that's why he shaved. <laughs> I'm trying to impress you. That's right. right. But it's not working, George. I think he even ironed his T-shirt. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. My he, nice he, white T-shirt. The nice white T-shirt. <laughs> Nobody wears nice white T-shirts anymore. This, it doesn't even have anything on it. I'm classy today. Yes, you are. Uh, I I figured you'd be you know hung over from Lollapalooza or something. Okay. I wish I had a ticket. Uh, Too expensive. Yeah, I'll just break in. Everybody else does. <laughs> uh, so on the show today, we start with Dan Costa, my buddy from Vern Goer's Greenhouse out in Hinsdale, and also a member of the Prairie State Bonsai Society. And please do not say bonsai, or Dan will come to your house. Personally, in fact, let me ask him, Dan. If if they say bonsai, will you come to their house and uh, and, and give them a stern talking to? Of course. Okay, just <laughs> just want to make sure. Of course, I would. Uh, and uh, Dan is with the Prairie State uh, Bonsai Society, and they're having their annual show at the Morton Arboretum next week, uh, which mm-hmm. is why uh, Dan is on the show. He every year he he says Mike, you know, because I bring him in to talk other stuff on the show and the payback is that i have to talk bonsai um (laughs) in the big show at the morton Arboretum. it's not that i have to talk bonsai it's actually very fascinating stuff uh and dan will tell us all about that in a second uh billy burdett at 9 30 and he is the executive director of advocates for urban agriculture they have an event coming up. They're Grown in Chicago Summer Soiree and Showcase. Uh, that's on August 11th. Uh, we'll tell you about that. But we're also going to talk a lot of policy issues. We'll, we'll cram in as many as we can with uh, Billy Burdett because uh, AUA, Advocates for Urban Agriculture, is doing a lot of stuff in the city of Chicago. Um, uh, I have a bunch of it. On my website, uh, you can go to MikeNovak.net, uh, read about this week's show. And they're doing things like uh, the uh, 
new composting ordinance in Chicago. How is that working? Uh, um, you know, we've, we've been into that Brave New World for about six months, and there are still a lot of moving parts. Um, and if you're a community garden, if you're an urban farm and you want to compost, uh, there are things you need to know, and Billy will talk about that. Um, he's going to talk about some things like the uh, Chicago Urban Agriculture Mapping Project, also known as QAMP. Believe it or not. Quamp. Quamp. Yes. Quamp. Sounds like a sound effect you should have. On I, I should have a quamp <laughs> on here. And, you, and now, now you got me thinking about the sound effects because uh, I've got... Wait a second. All right. Since we're here... Bring up the sound effects machine. You knew the job was dangerous when you took it, Fred. Okay, there we go. So, uh, and, and, and uh, a few others. All right, they're all set to go. Good. And mine don't re- see. I don't know what setting I put here, but they don't. Um, shh, shh, okay. Shh, shh, don't right. say it too loud. It's working <laughs> right. All right. So uh, Billy Burdett at nine thirty, and then in the second hour, Lisa Hilgenberg, horticulturist at the Regenstein Fruit and Vegetable Garden at the Chicago Botanic Garden, um, and they have an event. Well, they got several coming up. They got a big tomato thing coming up in uh, August, and then they have this new garden they're opening up, the Learning Campus uh, on the ninth and tenth of. Uh, I'm sorry, the tenth and eleventh of uh, of September, and uh, that's all uh, very cool stuff. And she's going to be here in studio, so that's why I say if you've got your gardening questions, you should definitely. Give us a holler. And, and how can they do that, Peggy Malecki, who is sitting next to me? They can reach us on our Facebook page at the Mike Novak Show. You can tweet to us at Mike Now. You can call the studio at 312-985-7834. You can stand outside and shout out at the up at yep. the window. We might you let want. you in the studio then. That's yeah. right. No, well, no. we'll just take your question from there. <laughs> Uh, so there we go. All of that Skywriting. All on the show today, and with any luck, it's recorded, and there will actually be a podcast. I'm still seeing something, so I, this is good. The, the levels are still kicking, <laughs> which is great. All right, let's go back to Dan Costa, uh, who's been waiting very patiently. How you doing, Dan? Oh, pretty good, Mike. Good uh, to talk to you. You uh, wrote me the other night. Dan wrote me the other night when we were discussing his being on the show, and it was the, the, the time stamp on your email was 1045. And yeah. PM and Dan said, "Yeah, I just uh, got in from working on my trees." Um, yep. So, uh, was that an early <laughs> night for you or a late night for you? Uh, that wasn't too bad. That's fairly normal. But uh, I was getting ready to start working on the trees to get them ready for the show because uh, there's a lot that goes into getting each tree ready. It takes a good hour or more, and each and every one of them that I put into the show just to get them into looking their best man of course when you, when when dan talks trees he's not talking big trees he's not even talking small trees he's talking tabletop trees <laughs> portable variety portable and okay so tell me what you say there's a lot that goes into it folks go well it's it's didn't you already snip it a while ago what what are you working on uh well getting it ready for the show you got to uh Check that there's nothing growing down underneath the branches, no needles, um, the pines growing downward. Uh, Clean all that up, make sure there's no dead leaves or dead needles anywhere in the tree. Either take off or replace some wiring that might be on the tree to to train it. 
uh, cleaning up the pot, giving it a little bit of polish with some mineral oil. Uh, do they do they take off points for that? Oh yeah, okay. yeah dirty pots are not good. <laughs> a dirty pot is not a hel- a happy pot. Let's put it that way. Yes, doesn't look right for the show. You're, you're showing to the public, and you want them to see your tree at its very very best. So it should be cleaned up. You have to get a stands ready uh, to put them on to select the right stand. Get your accent plant ready. Uh, put moss on the surface of the soil for the tree. Now, let me there's, ask you. There's let a me lot a- that goes into it. Yeah, there is. Let me ask you a little bit about moss because isn't it better if it kind of if if moss shows up naturally, you got you must you must jump for joy when that happens, so that you don't have. <laughs> it never goes on the right tree. It always goes on the trees in training that that are not going to be in the show. <laughs> ah, that's the problem. So, but it does happen sometimes. You get so otherwise, then you got to bring in moss. Now, do you paint it on like with 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 buttermilk as you know in one of those recipes? No, uh, you're laughing uh, at me, Peggy. No, you know? I'm not. Okay, all right. No, I, I've done that in places, but uh, mostly I just collect moss off of things or off of other trees and move it over onto my trees. And then I have to cover it with netting because the lovely robins will come during the day, think that there's insects they could eat underneath the moss. <laughs> so they pick it up and throw it on the ground, and they don't put it back. And How so rude. I come home in the evening, i got to put all the moss back on. So it never gets to stabilize onto the plant. So I have to put netting and things over the moss to keep the robins from <laughs> knocking it off. So I hadn't actually thought about that, but yeah, folks, you one and, we, and I talk about this whenever Dan's on the show, but it it bears repeating because folks have misunderstanding about bonsai. I think a lot of folks think that these are indoor plants because that's where they <laughs> they get shown indoors. Uh, they they look lovely indoors if you got a part of your your setup and they, and there can be indoor bonsai plants. Oh yeah, um, I, you know and and it takes me to a, a story a few weeks ago maybe a couple of months ago yeah it was a couple of months ago. I was at Costco uh, and I like Costco. Uh, they there's way too much plastic uh, wrapping on everything, but they treat their employees well and you can get you know good prices on stuff and. Uh, you know, get things in bulk, which is better than little tiny containers of things. Um, but they were selling bonsai, and they had a big rack of bonsai. And, see, I've been trained by you, Dan. Now I'm beginning to get it. I get it. <laughs> and, and I started looking at the tags because they had um, junipers, which, as you and I know, a lot of, these uh, bonsai plants are junipers, and people kill them immediately. Uh, oh, yeah. And, but they also had uh, some tropicals there, and they had them on the mm-hmm. same rack. And juniper, of course, is an outdoor plant. If it's going to survive, it has to have spend time outside. But they also had the tropicals, oh, yeah. which are indoor plants, and, and if they're going to survive, they have to, spend, they have to be indoors. And they had them on the same rack, and neither of them was labeled as such. So if, whoever bought it, uh, didn't know how to treat these particular plants. They were not on the label, and I was stunned. It was mm-hmm. like you know, instant death for the, oh, yeah. for these. Yeah, and, and you and you've talked about that before. Yeah, and most people assume that since it's in a pot, it must be a house plant. So they they will take the juniper or whatever, 
and put it in the house because it's a potted plant, so therefore it must be an indoor house plant. And, uh, of course, then they have maybe about six months uh, of time before that plant will, will die because it cannot tolerate being indoors. And we lose a lot of interested people that way because they get frustrated. You know, they try one that dies. Either they get frustrated right away or they might try a second one and it dies, and then they decide, well, I'm never going to do that again because it's a waste of money. And if they knew how to properly care for the plants, then they would be able to take care of them and get the right plants for their situation and enjoy this wonderful hobby uh, that they could have for many, many years. So it's really frustrating for me when I see all that stuff in the stores like that. And nowadays, you also see these uh, plants that may or may not be woody plants stuck into a very cheap ceramic bonsai pot, and then they put gravel on there and they glue it down with, with spray glue so it won't fall off in transportation. <laughs> Yikes. And of course, you can't possibly keep that thing watered, and you know, and, and people get frustrated with that too. And so if people would go and, and get proper trees and get proper advice, uh, I think there'd be a lot more people doing bonsai. And I would guess that you would say the place to do that is at your local independent garden center. Oh yes, any place that carries good good material uh-huh. uh, and has a knowledgeable staff, if they can, you know, if you ask them a question of like point to a juniper and say, you know, do, can I grow this in the house? And if they say, sure, then go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you don't know, you won't know that that's the wrong answer. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. People don't know the right answers from the wrong answers. Well, so that's why this is an art. It's a science. Uh, it is about patience. It is about passion. Um, but you have to know, you have to know the science first or these things are not going to survive, right? Right. But it's the simple thing I ask people sometimes, has anybody ever invited you to come over to their house to see the lovely maple tree or pine tree or juniper that they're growing in their living room? And people always say, well, no. Okay, then why would you put this one in in your living room? <laughs> Same thing. If you, somebody wants you to come and see the tree they're growing in their living room, it's probably a ficus, which will grow there. And that's and that those were the indoor plants, by the way. They were they were ficus plants mm-hmm. that uh, bonsai ficus, the ones at the the Costco. And and by the same token, if somebody had heard our conversation and thought, oh, I need to stick all of my bonsais outside for the winter, and they put that ficus out there, they're going to have a dead ficus in the spring. All right. Yeah. You, you have to know the uh, what, what the tree requires. Right. So if it's an indoor or an outdoor tree. But ficus are wonderful trees to start out with as far as indoor trees. Junipers are wonderful trees to start out with as far as outdoor trees, but they have to be put in the location that they need to be put in. Mm-hmm. And, 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 let's, and let's talk about that for a little bit. I mean, do they – so if you've got a juniper, and a juniper can handle different kinds of conditions. It can handle some shade. It can handle sun. Uh, what, what do you like – do you have any juniper bonsai? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I keep them outside in full sun all summer long. And then in the late fall, usually sometime around Thanksgiving area, uh, they go on the ground in a shaded, protected location, 
and I take mulch and cover the pot up to the bottom of the foliage and let them stay out there all year, all winter long. They will get snow on them. Uh, they will freeze, but that is what they require. And so then in April, when I can reach down into the mulch, grab the actual pot itself and lift it up, uh, then I take them out and put them back in the sun again for the summertime. And there you and my indoor trees around the middle of September, they come indoors and sit down in a nice sunny location, nice bright window. Uh, by bringing them in in the middle of September, they have a chance to adapt to the indoor environment uh, before the furnace comes on and dries the air out to the Sahara Desert level. <laughs> uh, you know, makes the Sahara Desert seem humid, actually. And so it's a little easier on the tree. That way they can adjust to one and then adjust to the second rather than adjusting to both at the same time. So, uh, and, and then they are also outside right now in the sun. So uh, your your outdoor plants never come indoors, do they? They can visit for a day or two, but then they go right back outside. Yeah. So that's just to show off. If you, you've got guests coming, you bring your outdoor bonsai indoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nice yeah. centerpiece yeah. or something. Yeah, that and that that would work. Or for a show like the one that's happening next week. So tell me a little bit about the Prairie State Bonsai Society show. And uh, you guys have found a, a kind of a permanent home at the Morton Arboretum, haven't you? I uh, certainly hope so. We've had good relationship there the last few years, last several years. Uh, they're very good to us, providing us the space and everything. And... Uh, I like it there because we get crowds of people coming through, and some know about the show, and some just happen to be there. But we get a lot of interest from the public. And our show is on uh, next weekend, August 6th and 7th, out at Martin Arboretum. Uh, we'll be in the visitor center area in, in what's called a sycamore room, which is right off the parking lot. So we're easy to find. Uh, we'll be there from 10 in the morning till 4 p.m. both days. And it's, we're uh, there in conjunction with the Arboretum runs every year is the Asian Festival. So we fit right into that. Uh, there will be a display of members' trees. So you get to see the trees that are in people's personal collections. So often this is the only time that they are put out where the general public could actually see and enjoy them. Uh, so you'll see a lot of different types of trees, a lot of different styles. We'll also have vendors there selling trees and pots and tools and wire and books and and everything that you would need and giving helpful advice if you ask a question. These are people who know what they're talking about, so that uh, you know don't be shy to, to ask. Well, how how, could, how would I grow this tree or where would I grow it <laughs> or what kind of pot would I need? Well, if you can't ask there, where can you ask? Well, at the good independent garden centers is the other option. <laughs> of course, let's we, we'll <laughs> so keep hammering also, uh, that until people do it. You know what? All right, let's let's let me give my usual spiel about that. If you want to buy, you know, if you want to buy tools and uh, I don't know uh, light bulbs, <laughs> go 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 to the box store. All right, mm-hmm. if you want to buy plants, go to your local independent garden center. Okay, and oh, yeah. Yeah, and because and you're going to get advice. You're going to know that they've, they've treated the plant well. 
uh, and you can ask questions. Yeah, and two other ways that they can learn about bonsai at our show is we have a demonstration on Saturday and on Sunday at 2 p.m. Uh, I'll be doing the one on Saturday at 2 p.m., and a former president of our club will be on Sunday. Uh, so you can watch as a piece of stock material is taken and trimmed and wired and styled into uh, the beginning of a bonsai. Hey, wait, and wait, you're, you're, have, you're doing this when? I'm doing the one at 2 p.m. on Saturday. Saturday, okay. So come on out, Mike, and watch me. <laughs> I, I know it. I, I will heckle you if I come out. You know, you realize I will do that. No, that's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> and uh, we also have workshops both days. Uh, these are extra charge, but they're very good. And, I sh- and we should mention that the, the show is free with the admission to the Arboretum. Uh, yes. But if you want to be part of a workshop, so let's say you have a bonsai and you want to go in and uh, mm-hmm. and and work with a professional, yeah, there are. Uh, there's actually a bring your own tree workshop on Saturday from nine right. thirty a.m. to twelve. So you got three hours, um, yes. and it and it's only sixty bucks for the member and seventy for a non-member. Um, yeah, that, it's a great deal. It is. And the person teaching on uh, that one and the Sunday one, the conifer and spruce and pine, uh, he's our guest master, uh, Andy Smith. He's from Black Hills uh, area of Deadwood, South Dakota. He's a forester by trade and also collects uh, bonsai from the wild. So when he's out in the woods and the mountains there, uh, he'll find naturally dwarfed trees and often very very old trees and uh, if there's ones that he think that would survive being taken up and put into a pot back at his house he will uh, come back and collect those trees and then even, uh, settle them down in, in containers at his home and eventually offer them for sale so you can get some very good trees from Andy and also, he's very, very knowledgeable, uh, a wonderful bonsai artist, and a very patient teacher. So if you want to take a workshop uh, and bring your tree in and show it to him and have him help you with it, Andy's a really great guy for doing that. But if you just so want to... highly recommend it. If you just want to come and look at wonderful bonsai and get inspired... Uh, you mm-hmm. can do that just uh, for the cost of uh, getting into the Morton Arboretum. So that's oh, yeah. it's next Saturday and Sunday, uh, right. August 6th and 7th at the uh, Morton Arboretum. Uh, what are the hours again, Dan? 10 till 4. Uh, on both days. And if you want more information, right. you can go to uh, Prairie Bonsai, uh, Prairie State, Prairie State Bonsai Bonsai com. Um, or you can go to my website, MikeNovak.net, and go to this week's show, uh, and uh, the, that information is there, too. I just found out that you're – I didn't realize you were the publicity director for uh, – Yes. <laughs> which That's is why he's on the job. show. Uh, so uh, I hope they think you're doing a good job. All right, one minute. Uh, I'm going to give you one minute to talk about – you know, w- w- we talked bonsai, but – you're you you're at the garden center at Vern Goer's greenhouse in Hinsdale. People come in, they bring in stuff. You're seeing stuff going on. What do you see in this summer? Uh, very quickly. Well, right now Japanese maple or Japanese beetles. I mean, they're still out there quite a bit. So we got uh, that going on. 
there's a lot of powdery mildew on plants. The, the weather has been real good for promoting powdery mildew. Uh, people are making their usual mistakes in watering, either over or under watering. Uh, with the fluctuating rains and and temperature changes and everything, it's been kind of uh, throwing some people off. What what, what uh, would you what what tip would you give about watering? Uh, use the uh, world's most wonderful soil moisture meter ever invented, which is your index finger, <laughs> and put it into the soil. Depending on how deep your how large your container is, put it in either quarter inch or up to the second knuckle if it feels dry then give it a good good soaking if it feels wet wait another day or so Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the best way to tell just touching the soil and what do you do about uh powdery mildew uh you can use uh fungicides for that Uh, there's one made out of baking soda that you know you can get that recipe online uh, if you don't want to use commercial products, otherwise use something like a copper fungicide, which is registered for organics, uh, gardening, or uh, daconil or any of, of the other ones uh, to get it off the leaves. On some plants, it's pretty persistent, like on Monarda. Uh, you see it a lot because it, that plant just seems to attract it. Flocks are like that, too. Um, so sometimes just picking off the, the leaves they have it. Well, you know, that's where we, we, we've started. Uh, Kathleen uh, did a good thing yesterday. She was out there looking at our zucchini and noticed that we're starting to get a little powdery mildew, and it's really in the early stages. So we just cut off those leaves and we threw them away. Um, mm-hmm. Some, sometimes that's best. Uh, a few years ago, I had a woman bring in a uh, sample of a, uh, from a plant that had some insect on it. And she wanted to know what to do with it. And I said, how widespread is it? And she said, well, this was the only branch it was on. I said, problem is solved. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Dan Costa from Vern Gore's Greenhouse, also from the Prairie State Bonsai Society. Again, you can go to prairiestatebonsai.com to find out about the annual show at the Morton Arboretum uh, next week, uh, August 6th and 7th. Dan will be there. Mm-hmm. A lot of really, yeah. really intelligent People uh, and artsy people who know. <laughs> and people that know what they're talking about with bonsai trees. Exactly. So don't get your advice at the Costco. You can get other stuff at the Costco, but not uh, not bonsai advice. Go to uh, the annual show at the Prairie State uh, Bonsai Society. Dan, as always, a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Thanks, Dan. Get, get back to work. Go wire up one of those trees. <laughs> Yeah, I will. There's okay. one sitting in front of me. <laughs> I bet you've been working on it during while we've been talking. Uh, just looking at things that I need to do. It's a Japanese white pine that's going to be in the show. Fabulous. I am going to try to be there next week. Uh, finally get out there and, and see what you're doing. It might not be, well, it might not be Saturday because that's show prep day, but maybe Sunday. You'll I'll sto- be there both days. Okay, well, you're the publicity guy. you got to be there. <laughs> that's what they tell me. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you later, Dan. Okay, Mike. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've heard this statement many times on this program. It's the biology, stupid. When Mike says that... Who says that? When Mike says that, when you say say that, that... I never say that. You're talking about the soil and how certain chemicals and certain horticultural practices can wreak havoc with the macroscopic and microscopic critters down there. But the same thing applies to critters you can actually see, like birds and insects and amphibians and reptiles and mammals. If you don't give them a good home... 
they're going to pack up and leave, or worse, simply stop reproducing. That's where natural communities' native plants come in. Natural communities' native plants are locally grown and sourced, featuring more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. And those plants have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other critters. That's why you should garden with native plants. And in Chicagoland, the way to do that is with Natural Communities Native Plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Billy Burdett from AUA is next. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. My buddy Mike Novak works for an outfit that is trying to take over the country, but in a good way. Here's what I mean. He writes a column for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, and that magazine is published by the same folks who publish magazines in 21 states, from Minnesota to Florida, from Pennsylvania to Oklahoma. They're called State by State Gardening. And in most of the Midwest and the South, you can get your hands on a magazine that is going to teach you a lot about gardening in your own state. These great publications feature articles by some of the leading gardening experts in each state, including famous authors, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and even Mike. Well, you can't hit a home run in every at-bat. And who knows, if your state doesn't have a state-by-state gardening magazine, they might very soon. Subscribe today by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. That's 888-265-3600. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy, because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives, and Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Let's go organic. Let's do what's right. Say no to poison with all your might. In action, we'll seal our fate. 
Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Eco Elvis has entered the building. Um, I had him on my show uh, back when I was at Progresso Radio, and uh, he's got his, I've got his CD here. He's got a bunch of goofy songs on it, like uh, this one. And the reason I bring that up is because uh, before we uh, leave Dan Costa, uh, one of the things, and I mentioned, meant to mention it while I was on the air, he wrote to me the other day and he said, many people don't know that true bonsai is very different from the little plants surrounded by glued-on gravel sold at home centers. If they come to our show, they will see the genuine article. It's like the Elvis on black velvet versus true art. What's, what, what has he got against Elvis on black velvet? I, I have no idea. Now, if it's got the gold fringe around the edge, that's a... Yeah, it's a different story. Yeah. All right, let's bring in Billy Burdett, who has the happiest face on Skype. Billy, you, uh, uh, we, we love your photo. We were, we were looking at it right here on the computer. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, was, I was very happy that day. Yeah, because you got the Skype to work. That's, that's why you were so happy <laughs> right. that day. Uh, Billy is the executive director of Advocates for Urban Agriculture. How would you uh, describe Advocates for Urban Agriculture since you are the ED? Well, uh, we are a coalition of individuals and organizations and businesses across the Chicago area that are working together to uh, support and expand sustainable urban agriculture, uh, whether that is you know home uh, residential growing, community gardens, school gardens, uh, or full-fledged uh, commercial urban farms. So we, we try to serve as the, the hub and the voice for this really broad and um, diverse and ever-expanding community. You know, that's exactly how I would have explained it as well. Just just telling you there. So we're going to give you a beer ding for that. Uh, and we're going to get to your uh, – we'll tease people uh, and let them know that you've got an event coming up on August 11th, uh, which is important for you guys, um, and also a lot of fun. So we'll, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll hold off on the fun part and get to the serious part to, to start um, – a lot of issues. You guys work on a lot of issues in a lot of ways. And as you said, you're a coalition. So you bring in uh, various organizations and individuals to help. And one of the ones that uh, that I know about, because I worked on it just a little bit with you guys, was uh, the uh, composting ordinance uh, in the city of Chicago. In fact, I have a photo of you uh, on my website on this week's show uh, speaking at uh, earlier this year at the Chicago Community Garden Gardeners Association conference, where right. you were beginning to explain this, and and you've been sort of on the composting tour 2016 this year, haven't you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've been uh, doing our best to get the word out about this and make sure that people um, understand what exactly the ordinance will do. At the same time as working with folks in the city, particularly the Department of Public Health, to finalize certain elements of the ordinance uh, so that we can make sure that, that people are able to uh, get registered if, if they want to take advantage of uh, the, new, um, the new rules and, and the things that they allow. 
Well, as of, as of February, when you were explaining that to uh, uh, the Community Gardening Association, um, there were still a number of things to be worked out that it was still – there were still a lot of moving parts uh, to, to that uh, ordinance. Right. Um, what has moved forward since that time? Well, uh, we've been, uh, like I said, in touch with public health. And there are two, I guess, main components that we've been trying to make forward movement on. One is uh, the registration process for community gardens and urban farms that wish to accept uh, organic waste from off-site. So like you probably told your listeners, um, the, the ordinance um, allows that for the first time. Previously, community gardens and, and urban farms weren't able to even accept um, you know, like some really basic kitchen scraps from their neighbors or from nearby restaurants or what have you. Um, so this, this allows them to do that now, but in order to, to do that, they need to register with the city, provide some really basic information about um, their site and, and you know their composting methods and where they'll be receiving uh, organic waste from. Um, so we've been kind of going back and forth with the, the Department of Public Health for a little bit now uh, to determine exactly what information they want to capture. And um, we can maybe talk about this a little bit later, but one of our other projects, the uh, Chicago Urban Agriculture Mapping Project. Quamp. Quamp. Quamp.org, C-U-A-M-P dot org, uh, you know, which maps out and, and provides a, a directory of gardens and farms across the Chicago area, that is going to serve as the registration portal. So we, we've got the whole you know, IT side of this uh, that we're working on as well. But um, we have made progress just in uh, the sense that the city has finally given us the, the green light and are actually even providing a little bit of funding to uh, help us out in getting the, uh, the website development taken care of so that portal can be in place. Um, and then the other uh, missing piece here is the record-keeping requirement. Uh, mm -hmm. Any urban uh, farmer, community garden that wants to be accepting these off-site materials needs to have uh, record-keeping throughout the year. And so we're also working with public health on, you know, finalizing exactly uh, how the record-keeping is set up. We want to make sure that it is um, as easy as possible for different types of growing sites. Um, you know, some community gardens especially have different um, forms of governance or, you know, some have like one uh, site leader, others are much more collective and there isn't really any one person who's leading the charge. So we want to make sure that, you know, people can keep records in different ways that they can, you know, do it, uh, online if, if that's easier for them or have it, you know, on a clipboard that they store in, uh, a Rubbermaid container or in a shed or whatever it might be, you know, to keep it away from the elements. Bury, bury um, it in the ground where, and with a, with a flag, 
where you can just dig it up. Uh, I mean, well, it's it's kind of an interesting point. And I'm going to back up just just a tad. Uh, talk about the 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 really good aspect of this, as you mentioned, and I don't want to that to be glossed over. Is that we have we're yanking. Uh, community and and urban gardening in Chicago into into the 21st century here by exactly. giving them uh, those organizations the opportunity to compost materials that, as you mentioned, you could not do uh, in the past. You could not uh, compost, uh, you know, food scraps uh, on site. And um, it was only, you know, if you if you if you you could mow your lawn basically and cut branches and put them in a pile, but you had to have grown them right there. And that was the only thing you could compost. And now uh, it's it's uh, much more inclusive and people can bring food scraps as long as it's monitored and there are certain restrictions to it. And as you said, you have to report on it. Um, And uh, this is getting us to catch up with other cities and other parts of the country and uh, a a move forward Uh, now and as you said but it seems to me we still haven't resolved the issue of compliance you're still got the health uh, department involved and who's doing the enforcement of this law Um, it's primarily going to be public health all right so Um, so they are the ones who have to Go to a site, assess whether it's being done properly. Look at the the record keeping on site, and as you mentioned, that was actually uh, because I was in on some of those debates. Right. That was a uh, it was an important point. Is like, well, in the here we are in the twenty first century, and everybody puts things online, and right. you know, is that good enough? And right. the point was made. Well, maybe we need to have it on site. So it sounds almost silly that you would have a box or a shed or something and you have paper there that records it. But on the other hand, um, it's it's sort of a protection, I guess, for the city to make sure that this is being done properly and that there are accurate records. Right. Yeah, I mean, we we, we want to make it as easy as possible for both sides. I mean, there there's a reason for uh, for being able to check in and make sure that a site has been in compliance Typically, you're not going to see that happen unless there's been a complaint of some kind. You know, the the city I don't think has the the resources nor the interest um, in going out, just sending inspectors out to randomly to um, growing sites across the city. But there are certainly um, some very legitimate concerns. You know, that people can have, especially. If a site is in a residential area, um, a poorly managed compost pile can be pretty uh, stinky and can bring in rodents and can have all sorts of problems. So it's important uh, that we have some very common sense, reasonable uh, requirements in place that prevent that and that allow you know for some level of enforcement if uh if if people are are not uh responsibly right and and one of those things is vessels containers right. for mm-hmm. for the compost and that's always been or for a long time has been part of the deal if you're composting in the city of Chicago you need to have an enclosed container right um because of the issues uh, you spoke about before so mm-hmm. you need to have those um uh, on site and uh, as you said, uh, the, the key is 
well managed compost pile well because uh, a compost you can you can put stuff in a compost pile and leave it to its own devices and eventually it's going to break down but right. there might be trouble along the way before that so you know a compost pile requires aeration it requires water uh you know you need to turn it um and you need to monitor monitor it and if you do it right there's no smell at all there's no problems um but as you say especially in uh in neighborhoods that might be an issue let's um let's move along you you mentioned quamp the chicago urban agriculture mapping project uh let's talk a little bit about that one of the things that uh, has happened you've worked with um uh, neighbor space and the DePaul University's is it Steens or Stain Center? Steens, Steens, mm-hmm. Stein Center mm-hmm. um, to uh, map gardens and farms across the Chicago area. How successful has that been? It's been incredibly successful um, since we launched it in March of 2015 at the Good Food Festival. Um, we've gotten just a huge amount of. Uh, Submissions. We, we have it set up so that uh, people can actually register on the site and they can submit information about their growing site. And we've got an incredible number of uh, submissions, public submissions from urban farms, school gardens, community gardens, even a few residential gardens uh, that, are, that are interested in having their information uh, if not publicly available on the map uh, within our internal databases so that we can collect uh, all kinds of information um, that gives us a big picture, sort of comprehensive view of the state of urban agriculture in Chicago. And it's great stuff, too. And, and mm-hmm. my own community garden was on it until they built two really but ugly homes on it. But, uh, <laughs> oh, well, that's the way. <laughs> you know that happens, uh, Billy. Yeah, it does. It Und- does. But fortunately for, I mean, I guess in the big picture scheme of things, uh, you know, for, for every one of those uh, community gardens that closes down, we see, you know, two or three or, or four pop up. It's The, the challenge for us has been... Um, you know, just keeping keeping up <laughs> with this and getting the word out about uh, the map so that new projects can uh, go in and register and, and get their um, information up there. Can suburban gardens be listed as well? Yes. Yes, we're starting to get more and more um, suburban uh, gardens. You know, in, I mean, it's we're, we're saying that this is in the Chicago metro area, so... Um, that spans a, a, a fair um, distance from the Chicago city limits. And, uh, yeah, we're starting to see more and more little pins pop up on the map. Well, uh, let me, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, plug your organization a little bit because you've got various working groups uh, in the uh, organization uh, doing different things. Uh, tell me about uh, some of those. Well, we have three main working groups, the Advocacy Working Group, uh, the Resources Working Group, and the Connections Working Group. And so Advocacy um, is uh, one of our more active working groups. It meets uh, once a month, typically. Um, It is open for anybody to join. We encourage anybody who's interested in urban agriculture policy and or best practices uh, to to join up with us and uh, help us work on uh, all of our different initiatives. We've you know uh, we're working on a lot of different 
campaigns right now. Uh, one is focusing on clarifying the process for getting a business license if you're an urban farming business. Uh, another one is looking at the Chicago weed ordinance uh, because a lot of people who have been responsibly growing native uh, and edible landscapes, um, they've been getting these fines of you know $600 or more because of uh, over overzealous inspectors who don't know the difference between a weed and uh, an intentionally planted uh, you know, vegetable or, or, or native plant. Let's stop right there because I've talked about this on the show before and, sure. and we've gone over this and it's still not resolved, obviously. And I have very strong feelings about this, uh, right. about the, you know, almost arbitrary nature. I mean, I understand that you have to get people to mow their lawns so it just doesn't turn into, uh, you know, three foot high fescue. Okay, I get that. Uh, but the problem has been that there hasn't been to this point a lot of effort on the part of the city to identify plants that are actually beneficial. Uh, I mean, I, you could look at my own uh, front yard. Uh, they could come and haul me away tomorrow, uh, right. and I'm and I shouldn't be busting myself on air. But <laughs> yeah. um, watch what you say. Yeah, watch. Yeah, careful, you, yeah. they're Google Earthing you now. Yeah, right. like the city of Chicago's <laughs> listening to this show. Okay, um, and uh, but you know a lot of them are in bloom right now. So I'm I would say okay, that's a weed. What what do you think? Uh, and it's and, and it's almost a matter of common sense, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of common sense and so those and the other thing is that the inspectors need to have education and there hasn't been that it it seems to me Uh, right or it's old education yeah so anyway i just that was my two cents worth and i know you guys are (laughs) are continuing to work on that Um, yeah it's it's all about definitions what we have currently uh on the books is there's just nothing really that defines what a weed is versus a uh, managed native landscape or a vegetable garden or whatever right. it is. So if we have clear definitions and actually, you know, the state of Illinois and even the city of Chicago, you know, the problem is we got a lot of different bureaucracies, right? But I mean, some uh, departments uh, have, you know, made it very much uh, their priority to encourage, you know, native landscapes and rain gardens and, and edibles and all sorts of things like that. But not everybody's on the same page. So there are some resources out there that list, you know, this is what a noxious weed is. These are invasives, you know, that sort of thing. So it's really just a a matter of connecting the dots that most of which already exist. You know, that's Uh, that's that's a conversation unto itself. You know, I'm sorry I opened that can of worms. But uh, all right. What we need to uh, we're we're just about out of time. So I need you to plug the events uh, as we we promised uh, people we would. And that is. The second annual Grown in Chicago Summer Soiree and Showcase. Uh, it's going to be at Big Delicious Planet Canteen and Urban Farm. That's at 412 North Walcott Avenue in Chicago. That uh, is on Thursday, August 11th from 6 to 9 p.m. All right, those are the basics. What's going to be there? Well, it, this is our second one. We had our first one last uh, July. It was a huge success. We um, have a lot of things going on at this. Uh, first, what I think sets us apart from a lot of other farm to table dinners and, and, and similar events is that it actually is going to, uh, feature this, uh, farmer's market style showcase of 
Chicago gardens and farms. So it's basically going to be a bunch of these gardens and farms set up with their booths and their, and their tents. And, um, some of them will have some produce for sale. Others will have, you know, value added products for sale and they'll have information about what they're doing. We'll have school gardens, community gardens, urban farms, all sorts of really cool projects, you know, aquaponics. Um, and it's, you know, meant to celebrate and highlight the diversity range of, uh, what's happening across the city. And they are all providing produce from their growing sites for this farm-to-table dinner that uh, Big Delicious Planet is putting together. They are a four-star green-certified restaurant. They've been named the greenest caterer in America. Um, they're pretty great. And a uh, little side note is my, my wife actually set up their urban farm, which is right at the site. So it's a really beautiful place to, to be. You can walk around in the farm. Um, and we'll have live music. We'll have a, an open bar with uh, regional and, and, and local libations. We'll have a silent auction. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. And, and the other thing that our showcase is going to have is a number of different institutions and organizations that uh, connect urban growing projects with funding and other resources. So it'll be a great opportunity for people who are starting up a project or who already have one going but are hoping to expand it yep. um, to, to find out about, you know, funding opportunities um, so that can help them do that. Uh, George uh, here is uh, Mr. Networking guy. So uh, I think you need, <laughs> yeah, you might need to be there, George. I'm going to reach out for sure. Okay. Definitely. A- and, uh, and you can find out more information about that at auachicago.org, or you can go to my website, mikenovak.net, look at this week's show. Uh, all the information is there. It sounds like it's going to be a blast, and uh, uh, I'm going to try to be there myself, uh, uh Billy. Uh, great. It's been great talking to you, Billy. Uh, we got to do this again um, yes, more often you. than uh, we have in the past, okay? Absolutely. Um, Lots more to talk about, for sure. Y- you bet. There's, <laughs> I know. You guys are doing so much stuff, and, and anybody can get involved with Advocates for Urban Agriculture. That's one of the and, great things about and it. And they've got a great email list that you can join and keep up with. Exactly. I get the, the, the emails yeah, every uh, like day. every day. There's something uh, going on. In fact, it's, it's more than I can keep track of, but that's, <laughs> that's okay. That's the digest version. Yeah, that's okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, Billy Burdett, Executive Director of AUA, thank you so much. Uh, we will, uh, we'll talk again very, very soon. Great. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Take care now. All right. Too. Bye. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio, 1680 AM. As we say, it's... Uh, that's uh, uh well we'll talk radio here in, in a second because we have a guest who has just stepped into the studio who does her own version uh, of radio and um, she who is also from the uh, Chicago Botanic Garden is next. Captain's log, stardate four two three two six point one. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mister Wolf, status report: They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, 
Dave Barry and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. Aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Hi there, nice to be with you. Happy you could stick around. Like to introduce Legs Larry Smith, drums. And Sam Spoon's rhythm pole. And Vern Dudley Bohay Noel, bass guitar. And Neil Innes, piano. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. Billy Butlin Spoons. And looking very relaxed, Adolf Hitler on Vibes. Nice. Princess Anne on Sousaphone. Introducing Liberace clarinet. You see, our frame of reference is different. Um, uh, Peggy Malecki uh, says that she hears this uh, on uh, Dr. Demento. This is just this somewhere in my past, my radio past, uh, Bonzo Dog Band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's uh, called the intro and outro. It could have been Bob Collins, too. I don't think Bob Collins would have played this. He played some goofy Maybe stuff. Maybe he did. It's possible yeah. that, that uh, he did. But I know Demento would have played it back in the 80s. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to welcome you to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show. Again, that's uh, Peggy Malecki, the publisher of Natural Awakenings magazine. Natural Awakening Chicago. She gets a beard ding. Thank you. Uh, the uh, inimitable George Brigandi, also here in the studio in his white tee. And he's actually, have you guys met on site? Briefly, yes. We have. Okay. Uh, and that, the, that voice you hear is uh, Lisa Hilgenberg, who's a horticulturist for the Regenstein Fruit and Vegetable Garden at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Um, and I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but George has been working on site over there. What, is, what do they got you do, like pulling out? Uh... It's the best island at the Botanic Garden by far. Um, is it and... the only one? No. no they're, they're, <laughs> How many islands are there? Four. Yeah. Okay, so you got and the best island. I'm always sailing around it in my little Just rowboat. sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a aquatic. He's become Mr. Zebra Muscle. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, Mr. I can't, I, you know, when he told me there were zebra mussels but, at the Botanic Garden. Interestingly, there are none in the northern lakes by the um, fruit and veg island. But you're not afraid of zebra mussels crawling out into the fruit and vegetable garden. I'm not afraid of zebra mussels. (laughs) It's the best island at the Chicago Botanic Garden because we have all the food. Of course. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's good stuff. Uh, And uh, as I mentioned, uh, Lisa's the horticulturist. We have so much to talk about. First of all... um, you might have heard her uh, and some other little radio station in uh, Chicago uh, doing her little reports on uh, WBBM uh, once a week. Uh, so, uh, and and you know, lately you've been uh, focusing on uh, tomatoes. I have, that's for sure. We cover a range of topics on WBBM, yeah. uh, and it's a gardening minute that plays uh, once a week. It's a gardening minute, but it feels like an hour, right? 
It, it doesn't. It's so much fun. It's it's tough to write a little piece like that because you oh, can distill it down into you know 150 yeah. or 60 words and deliver you know meaningful information. Um, it while- is hard. Yeah. I, I mean, I do it all the time with, with, with commercials here, and uh, you know, getting anything down to sixty minutes or sixty seconds is—I mean, did you know sixty seconds is one hundred and eighty words? I think it's one hundred and sixty. Uh, okay, it depends how f- fast. Uh, you're right; it is one hundred and sixty. It depends on—I can get one hundred and eighty in, but then I can talk real fast. I see it now that I have two and a half years of of presenting those gardening minutes. I see that as a book waiting to happen. The gardening minutes. Gardening tips in brief. Well, it's, you know? like, it's like Attack of the Killer Asparagus, my, my book. You know, I've been writing columns for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine for 13 years and finally took a bunch of them, put them in a book. <laughs> and and f- folks said, how long did it take you to write the book? I said, I don't know, 12 years. But, but it was different because I was doing it every other month. Just uh, looking for a publisher. Ex- you know, and you should. That's not a bad idea. For I think a, it's a great idea. Gardening yeah. tips. Absolutely. I think you should go for it. And it's an easy way to get your first book published. So, uh, yeah, you, you can hear uh, Lisa on uh, WBBM. Um, and uh, the other thing, though, I wanted to talk about is get into your origins a little bit. before. We, uh, and by the way, folks, if you have questions about your garden, your veggies, uh, this is it. This is the time. Uh, you can actually call us at uh, 312-985-7834. Lisa's here to answer your questions. That's one thing you can't do in a minute on WBBM, unfortunately, unless they write to you and then you say, uh, Bob from uh, Berwyn writes. Uh, and by the time you ask the question, you have no time to answer it. That's true. Because you got, you got, you're right, 160 words. Um but uh, if you want to do that or tweet, uh, at Mike Now is the handle here, or what? At Hilgenberg 8. Or at Hilgenberg 8. You Just speak up. That's okay. I'm, I'm uh, you, you know, uh, that's true. Or that's, Facebook. I'm manning the Facebook machine here. The Facebook uh, distraction is uh, also uh, alive and well, and... Um, and, and I don't know. And, and as we said, you can stand outside in the parking lot and yell up at the window because we've opened the window today uh, and ask your question that way. And, and we'll try to answer it. So, Lisa, one of the things I didn't know about you is you come by this honestly, which is to say your family has been involved in farming. You, you, you're what century farms in Minnesota for 135 years. Yes, indeed. Uh, my great-great-grandparents emigrated from Norway uh, in 1881 and purchased the farm in, it's actually in Winnebago County in Iowa. Oh, okay. Uh, which is it's in not western in Western Iowa. All right. Uh, my mother is from uh, a small town in southern Minnesota, uh, very close to the same place, and she had uh, a similar experience. So there were a couple of farms in my background, and my parents uh, would leave me there for the summer. So I learned how to grow fruits and vegetables with my grandparents, um, kind of commuting from Minneapolis where I grew up. Um, and we still have those farms. Uh, they're being managed by uh, a farm manager out of Nebraska and uh, hopefully will be transitioned into sustainable organic farms at some point in our, our my future, hopefully. Um, they were just designated Century Farms uh, two years ago. Now, is that, is that some kind of official registration uh, designation? Because uh, I was looking up Century Farms because I thought that was the name of it, and they but there are other century farms in in the in the country each state the department of agriculture of each state has a designation for a farm like that so centennial farm is the designation in illinois ah. in iowa it's called a century farm so this uh secretary of agriculture designated this farm for sustainable practices um for all of these years 135 years how cool is that it was and your dad still works it right 
My dad manages it. Oh, okay. He's retired in Minneapolis. Uh, he's a retired finance guy. So, so he, he does it uh, via smartphone. Okay, uh, let's see. We got harvest here. Let me check. <laughs> he does. We have a great uh, father-son uh, team that uh, grows crops on that property. Oh, cool. That's uh, well. That see now. That's always. It's always helpful if you're going to make a career in horticulture that you know something about it. It's true. You know, my grandmother was married on that farm in 1933, and she came to Chicago to the World's Fair uh, on her honeymoon. She drove across Iowa, can you imagine? And um, she ended up um, documenting all of the plants and agriculture that, you know, all of the uh, uh, exhibits that were happening at this World's Fair. And the tomato that won the taste test contest in 1933 was called Dejana Lee's Golden Girl, which is a... uh, kind of an orange paste tomato and she tasted that tomato and she documented that in her journals and I have all of her little tickets and and information wow. from that world's fair which is so uh sort of um meaningful to me and so I've been growing that tomato since I've uh, ah. started working mm. at the Chicago Botanic Garden and I'll um, be trading some seeds at our seed swap in January but it's a great tasting tomato that Chicago loved for 10 years it won the taste test contest did it really it did wow, wow that did. is fabulous uh I also uh yeah well we'll get we'll get into uh, specific tomatoes uh I just want to uh, mention somebody somebody tweeted uh and I think we tweeted uh earlier because we got a retweet on it. If you tune in to Q4.org to listen to us and hear music, hit the refresh on your browser. That's a, an, an issue that needs to be uh, addressed. And uh, I'm glad that uh, we got this uh, tweeted so that that's, uh, that's a good thing. You've had that experience before, mm-hmm. haven't you, Peggy, when, on the rebroadcast of the show? Uh, we are talking to Lisa Hilgenberg. Uh, who is the horticulturist at Chicago Botanic Garden. She's in charge of the Regenstein Fruit and Vegetable Garden, uh, which is quite a responsibility. I was, I was looking online um, about it, and uh, I saw the number 50,000 vegetables. Is that accurate? That's accurate. 55,000 vegetables 55, last year. 55,000. <laughs> wow. And so we plant that in a succession of three mm-hmm. seasons, spring, summer, and fall. Mm-hmm. And that, that annual plan is in addition to a four-acre edible landscape. So within that, we have collections of over 600 taxa of different um, fruits and vegetables. So we'd like to have one of everything that can be grown in the Midwest. So it's a lot of plants, and it's always interesting. I, I love my job because I go home having learned something really interesting every single day. I'll bet. I mean, uh, if you're going to grow that many things, you also have to design the uh, garden. That is the icing on the cake. So I'm, <laughs> no, I see that to me, that would be the nightmare of the dream. I'm a secret. It's all perspective, Mike. I guess it is. No, thank you. Don't want to design. No, thank you. I love color. I love uh, fashion. I love um, trends. And um, so I kind of, uh, Put all of those ideas together um, through garden travel and, and writing a little bit and uh, come up with these designs a year in advance. So I've just finished planning the 2017 design. Oh, you have already? Yes. All right. Now, how, all right, how much does uh, the success of the previous year play into that? So, for instance, I'm sure you have successes, you have failures, you have eh, so-sos, uh, and uh, do you... Do you work that into the next year's design? Absolutely. That's a great question. 
Um, I'm a secret documentarian and a, tr- a vegetable trialer. So I take notes on the spreadsheets, the ordering uh, plan, and I, I look at performance. I look at uh, harvestability, marketability. I look at all of those different uh, uh, pieces, uh, you know, plant health, um, disease how have these plants performed in the garden? All right. So let me ask you a specific here. So what plant that you had this year made you say, oh, you're coming back next year? Um, Veronica cauliflower. Brasca hmm. oleracea veronica. Really? Which is a beautiful cauliflower. And Chicago should be growing cauliflower sort of July 1st and then into the fall. And that's what we did finally. Could we, could we get away with it now, planting it, do you if think? You, if you can find a vegetable start, um, it should be between a six no, and eight. You're not going to find those, start. though. Nobody does starts for the fall. I, I I learned that 15 years ago when I I would go around. You know, I was telling people, "Oh, you can plant stuff in the fall, but sometimes you can get starts." And really, garden centers are not interested in starts. Uh, can you do it online? There's a market for that here in Chicago, uh, some sort of greenhouse grower or urban farm that can come up with some vegetable mm-hmm. starts for people to grow in the fall. Yeah. Yesterday I taught a class um, at the Regenstein School at the Botanic Garden about uh, fall vegetable gardening. What can we be doing now to think about you know, extending our harvest well into November? We should be able to harvest um, lots of things for Thanksgiving, including Brussels sprouts. So it's a, it's a topic that... Um, uh, is used all over the world uh, as you know Europeans try to eat one thing from their vegetable garden each year each day um, it 's something that we kind of give up on at Labor Day and we uh, throw in the towel on our vegetable gardens and it's a it 's a way that we can really extend our season and uh, uh, we should be doing that yeah. and i 'd like to teach that I was actually talking with a grower from Lake Zurich at the Deerfield farmers market yesterday, and he says i 've got all this sitting there, and we were literally standing in his booth planning how do we get fall and winter going and he was all excited about it so i should connect you to him absolutely i would love that uh and and there are there are plants however that continue to produce you you mentioned labor day you know you can get kale going till after even after a couple of freezes sometimes it's so tough it just or January if it's if you've got snow. <laughs> Depending. Yeah, I mean, there are some plants that will just yeah. keep, keep giving. Now, and others, you know, give up the ghost. But you're right. There's, there are ways to extend the, the growing season. So that cauliflower was one. What's another? What's one that kind of went belly up and you said, nah, I'm not going to do this anymore? Oh. And I hate to have, you know, because mm-hmm. it sounds like a failure, but it's not. Because everybody yeah. who gardens has things that don't perform the way they want them to. I think... The one of the issues that we've had this year has been uh, just kind of managing the birds on the shoreline of. Uh, hey George, the she's, looking at you. George. she's looking at this you. She's looking at you. This is your dude. fault, George. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he's been, been so he's been so busy with the zebra mussels <laughs> that he has no time for the birds. We we love the birds. We have a beautiful uh, heron. We have all mm-hmm. kinds of geese, um, ducks, sparrows nesting under the bridge. But they're eating my Brussels sprouts on the terrace. (laughs) (laughs) So we've tried all kinds of different methods, organic uh, and sustainable methods to sort of um, protect these things, um, including a monofilament wire set sort of at gooseneck height so that uh, it will trip up. So it lops their heads off when they walk by. (laughs) No. Nothing violent. Nothing violent. It just gets their attention. It gets their attention. It says stay away. Um, But we're following USDA protocol for organic growing, so all of our our pest control methods are uh, within that um, um, protocol. So uh, 
you know, using blood meal um, and uh, pepper sprays and, and things like that are, are ways that we combat some of these problems. Um, you know, I was thinking, uh, we, we were talking about harvesting. And right here, this is not the prettiest thing in the world, but this is uh, my smoothie. Uh, is that what that is? Yeah, I, I know. It's it's the ignore the color. Okay, we won't be posting a picture. Ign- please, don't. why not? I think people, some able- people are eating breakfast. Right uh, now. But this uh, was made yesterday morning, and I walked out to my backyard and I harvested kale, and collards, mm-hmm. and a cucumber, and they were all part of of this thing. And that's the amazing thing about growing vegetables. It looks like a chocolate milkshake. It does. I will say it, yeah, it's exactly. It, it looks like a seedy chocolate milkshake. Well, yeah, because there's some strawberries in there too, and you know, strawberries leave lots of seeds. So I bet it's delicious. What a great way! Drink your fruits and vegetables. Yeah, you know, it, it, it makes it easy. All right. Um, this year, what have you seen uh, in the garden in terms of? I mean, what are people dealing with? Because obviously, you, you have fifty-five thousand vegetables. Uh, is that the number this year? That was last year. Is What is it this year? It's about the same. It's just under 50,000 vegetables, which produces about 6,500 pounds of organically grown produce that um, is managed uh, through our Windy City Harvest Community Gardening Program uh-huh. uh, and is sold uh, at some of their farmer's markets in Chicago, uh, 10 markets. And then some of it ends up in our garden cafe at the Chicago Botanic Garden. So mm-hmm. if there's an unusually um, interesting tomato, like a blueberry tomato, um, visitors might have the opportunity to to try that in the cafe after they see it growing in the garden. I actually grew some of those uh, the other year. They were okay. I wasn't. I wouldn't say that they were the best tomatoes I ever tasted, but they were certainly pretty. I they mean, they are pretty, and I think that's appealing to people, um, especially chefs, to have something different to put on their their uh, menu. Um, Brad Gates out of Napa Valley is uh, from Wild Boar Farm is a uh, tomato breeder, and he has come up with that uh, blueberry blend series. Uh, there's also another blue tomato that's uh, relatively interesting. That's called the uh, Indigo series. It's a it looks like it's almost dipped in an inkwell, hmm. and that's a hybrid, and that's uh, not... That's the one I, I grew. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I would say the taste is marginal uh, on that, but boy, is it a showstopper in the it, garden. It's unbelievable. I was trying to find... I know I've got a photo of it here, but I, I can't track it down, and if I can, I, I will uh, show it to you. But uh, but that's interesting, too, because you, you get to, to, to experiment with, with different uh, exotic... That's yeah, absolutely. Varieties of vegetables. I've got forty-four tomato varieties growing this year, Yikes. and it's about uh, one-third hybrid and two-thirds heirloom. And so I'm looking at those uh, on either side of a path, and I can really gauge performance in the garden. We can, um, you know, uh, look at hybrids and and see if they're outperforming heirlooms, which have the notorious reputation for being. Um, Oh, I don't know, weaker plants, but better mm-hmm. tasting. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, our tomatoes have been uh, so healthy. Uh, we've had enough rain, lots of heat, and they're just starting to set fruit. Um, and it's really interesting to be able to kind of keep track of those um, performances and, and document that and then write about it. Um, we have a whole heirloom weekend coming at the end of the month, which I'm sure you you know about, the 27th and 28th of August, which right, is right. going to be great I, fun. I, I do know about that. As a matter of fact, um, Uh-oh. Uh, I am prepared for you <laughs> because uh, – and this is as good a time as any to, to – uh, what – why Air, come for heirloom tomato? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomato palooza. But tomato palooza. Exactly, and 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 we'll talk about that right after you hear this. 
which you may have heard before. There ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you ripe and don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, eat them in the summer. All winter without them is a culinary bummer. I forget all about the sweating and digging every time I go out and pick me a bit. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes. What'll life be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things that money came by, and that's true love. Homegrown tomatoes. Ah, we're doing, uh, we're doing photos here at the. Whoops! All right, one more. bit of backlighting there well you can go out all right i had to i had to just play a little bit of oh, that yeah. because, i mean it's uh, it's what we live for every year in chicago when the tomatoes first come in that's yeah it's, it's like a, it's a ceremony it's yeah. a great time of year so tell us about uh the big uh tomato palooza which is not the official name <laughs> of it although maybe it should be but it's the heirloom tomato weekend it's a celebration of heirloom tomatoes so uh you know tens of varieties um just how to use them, how to save seed from them, um, demonstrations in how to can them, um, uh, sauce them. Um, we'll be talking about growing tomatoes. We'll be talking about seed sources, um, care and maintenance of tomatoes, tomato troubleshooting. Um, you can taste tomatoes, um, and you can look at all the beautiful tomatoes that are growing in the garden. Um, I'll be giving some tours, um, a couple of tours each day. It's on Saturday and Sunday, again, the 27th and 28th of August. And we'll be doing all sorts of demos. Um, there will be a Windy City Harvest market stand, I believe, and uh, lots of vendors um, on the fruit and vegetable island. Uh, I uh, went to a uh, blogger's luncheon um, early in the year and got some seeds, some of which are now have grown in my own backyard and i can't remember did i get the powers heirloom from you or was that somebody else you did you got powers heirloom which is the hundred year old uh paste tomato yellow paste tomato from monticello yeah it's mm. still it still hasn't ripened um it's but it's coming along i i'm i i had a very limited area to put tomatoes this year and this and it was not even it was in my neighbor's yard not mine yard because and it's a very very complicated problem but i amended the soil the best i could but i still don't think it was up to snuff and um but we've gotten you know with the hybrids we put in and i got i got a couple of varieties from a guy named dr harry clee at the university of florida who's trying to create the perfect tomato you've you heard about him i haven't heard about him Oh. However, I've just taken a tomato breeding uh, seminar at Seed Savers Exchange last mm. weekend where we used the brawn toothbrush uh, using the vibration to knock the pollen off onto, well, all I had was my sunglasses. So I knocked it off onto the glass of my sunglasses and then took it over to the other tomato uh, flower to sort of dip that in that pollen and so we're uh we're breeding tomatoes uh ourselves cool. so it's an interesting topic it seems to be um people are talking about it all over the country well the reason he got in this is um the complaint that most people have about tomatoes is that there's no taste all right when you get it in the winter and that's because we have bred tomatoes to ship and to look good and not necessarily to taste good uh, so he said, I'm going to take those characteristics, uh, including taste, and breed a tomato that you can ship. It grows prolifically, um, uh, looks great, and tastes great. 
uh, and he came up with this thing called the Garden Gem. And we have um, one of the uh, bushes in our yard has over 50 tomatoes on it. I mean, it's very prolific. Uh, and so we've been harvesting them. Now, they're not one, – one of the things he said, the knock on it was they weren't the right size. They weren't as large as people like their tomatoes. And I, I don't necessarily like tomatoes that big. I think it's easier to bruise them and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it's kind of your whatever your uh, favorite might be. Uh, but uh, then he gave us a hybrid, another hybrid. It's just called New Hybrid. <laughs> it doesn't even have a real name. And those are about the right size, and they're also pretty prolific. There aren't, there aren't 50 on the plant, but uh, they're doing pretty well. Well, and what you just said is the story of heirloom versus hybrid. It's the sexy story that comes along with that heirloom, that, that allure of the heirloom, that old kind of um, uh, plant that we can be emotionally tied to that's so interesting. Um, hybrids are uh, quicker to uh, harvest, quicker to maturity, so I think that... Um, uh, they'll perform really well in your garden. However, that taste and that story and that allure is worth waiting for in an heirloom tomato. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do some tomato grafting over the winter and grow those plants out next to heirlooms and hybrids and see if that um, is a remedy for some of the, the heirlooms that struggle. Ah. Um, with, with various diseases and... and uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Although, you know, our heirlooms are performing so well. Um, as long as they're in a place where there's lots of air circulation, they're well trellised. You know, some are six, seven foot plants. Yeah. Um, they, they can get to be monstrous. They'll take over yeah. your garage. Yeah. And the beauty of it is, you know, you can successively harvest those as the flowers, um, you know, start at the bottom of the plant. They're vining plants, indeterminate tomato plants, and um, that will uh, sort of move up the plant uh, uh, as more flowers form and tomatoes are harvested. Um, It allows you to keep heirloom tomatoes in your kitchen for months, really, up until frost. Yeah. Uh, So one of the ones you gave me was the Powers heirloom. Uh, The other was the emerald, dwarf emerald uh, what, what's that uh, called? I wonder if that's a Craig Lahulier plant. Oh, is that a Craig plant? It might oh, be. Oh, I think you're. I'm, I think you might be right. It's a potato leaf. He's a variety. the guru of the dwarf tomato. And projects. he was at that meeting. Uh, and he's written a book called Epic Tomatoes, which came out this year. Um, and I need to have him on the show actually to talk uh, about tomatoes. Um, but I had never grown potato leaf uh, tomatoes before, and they're kind of cool. I love those leaves, uh, and 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 they're in the same basic uh, plant family, uh, which is why those look like potato leaves, and they call them potato leaves. It's it's a recessive gene uh, to be a potato leaf uh, uh, tomato. Um, we're growing one now that's a yellow uh, potato leaf, uh, which is really rare. Both of those. Um, traits are recessive and it's called bill's yellow perfection and we just planted it in the garden so Mm. i hope you'll come out and see it it's along the west side of the uh island uh growing with the rest of our heirloom tomatoes i believe the one that uh, craig lahulier had was dwarf emerald giant which is a strange name uh and that's we have a couple of them growing one in a container and one now in the ground um all right, I need to ask you a question since uh, we, uh, I haven't gotten a, a, a tomato question. I have one about ours. All right, we've gotten a little bit of um, yellowing in, the, in some of the leaves, uh, the tomato plants. And when I say yellowing, not where the whole leaf turns yellow, but like 
um, it's like um, it's it's kind of hard to describe. It's 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 like a, a speckling, but it's mm-hmm. not um, like doesn't look like fungal. Uh, do you know what I'm it talking about? It could be, you know, um, it sounds like something I've got too. Does it? Um, where is it on the plant? Is it starting at the on the lower leaves? With of mine, the plant? It's, it's lower, but I've got a couple where it's upper leaves. I got I got a plant that's got it like all over the place, and and it's just it's like the, the leaf itself. I'm wondering if it's if it's a lack of nitrogen or a lack of uh, some sort of mineral deficiency. Uh, well, when tomatoes are flowering and fruiting is a great time to give them, you know, an extra mm-hmm. dose of composted cow manure uh, or uh, bone meal is also a great, um, a great organic amendment. Um, if it's, it could be many different things. Verticillium wilt shows a yellowing of the leaves. Septoria blight has a sort of a concentric circle and a browning and yellow spot on tomato leaves. Um, there are all sorts of problems. I would suggest pruning those off, using a sanitizer in between pruning cuts. Um, we use just Lysol and water yeah. diluted. But these are not uh, that, uh, I can tell you, because um, it's not as if the the – it's just almost like a um, – Oh, and it's kind of hard to descri- describe. The, the the speckled yellow is like throughout the leaf, and um, it's just as if um, the leaf had faded a little bit. I mean, it's still got its integrity, um, and it ma- and makes me think it's some sort of nutrient deficiency. But it, I don't know. It very well could be. It very well could be. It could be early blight as well. So yeah. if your if your plant starts to wilt or the leaves curl, um, you can certainly bring a leaf into our plant information service at the Chicago Botanic Garden. That's true, and that's a great thing to to remind to people. Me, yeah, you know, um, I should have brought it today. Yeah, because on mine it's it's on the paste tomatoes, and it's it's they're looking like they're sun faded. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. That's a really good way of, of, of saying it. It's, it doesn't have the dark green. It's like a lighter green. And so I'm saying yellow, and that's leading you to think it's one of those diseases. But it's more that it's a, the, the leaf looks faded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The plants are working hard right now. And so they so do get them a little manure, some, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they need a source of nitrogen and um, or compost or something. Just exactly, yeah, absolutely. Get that in there. So I think it's time to uh, reapply stuff, which I haven't done. Um, uh, and bad me, bad well, Michael, bad Michael. Try earthworm castings. We kind of mixed up bone bone meal and earthworm castings together. And really, and we dress with compost mid season and then again in the fall. Um, and you'll have production through frost, so um, now it's time to feed them for sure. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. This is this is you know m- midsummer boom. Get out there and, and help them out a little bit. By the way, that's Lisa Hilgenberg, who is the horticulturist for the Reagan Stein Fruit and Vegetable Garden at the Chicago Botanic Garden. As always, you're welcome. I'm surprised Casey Tomato isn't. Uh, 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 tweeting in today he's usually around and he grows tomatoes out kc way is what i uh, uh believe uh is the situation but um uh you can always uh, write to us if, if you've got any uh issues and you want lisa to address them and let's once again let's uh, promote the uh the heirloom festival that you guys are having it's the heirloom tomato weekend august 27th to 28th from 11 to 4 p.m uh, and uh, there's going to be tips on growing and cooking, seed saving, 
um, uh, tours of the you're, you're there for the tours, right? That's right. We're going to have chef demos that will be utilizing uh, heirloom tomatoes as they do demos at one thirty and two thirty on both Saturday and Sunday. Always well attended, so get there early. Um, we'll um, be displaying and talking about you know. 40 or 50 different types of tomatoes, and then we have a tomato expert who's going to be talking about the history of tomatoes, which is a really interesting topic. Um, so all about tomatoes. Come on out. Uh, you know, I just got a, uh, a message from Breanne Heath, who runs Pie Patch uh, in Chicago, and she's with uh, AUA, and she's with Peterson Garden Project. Um, and she says um, she's well-versed in tomato diseases, and... Um, she says, if, she wanted to, if, if I wanted to check out my plants, <laughs> let me know. So I might do that, Brianne. Okay, I might, I, I, might, I might actually have you come by and, and, and take a look at them. Um, I'll tell you what, listen, we're going to take a little break. I did a little bait and switch today because I didn't mention Rick DeMaio. He's not on the program. Uh, Uh-oh. I apologize for folks who uh, are waiting for He's in the Poconos with his folks, and he says the cell um, signal is awful. So that's hooky. yeah. yeah Why excuse, not? You know, Rick. it's the middle of the summer. You take you take a couple of weeks off because he's going to be off next week too. Uh, so you know, I, I thought maybe Bill Turk would call in and he would give us a a, a weather report you out there, Mister Turk. Um, but he'd have to research <laughs> it. And he's probably got it down. He's probably got it memorized already. All right. So no Rick to mile weather, but in lieu of that, Lisa's going to stick around. I hope. Of course. Can you be here till eleven? I'd love to. Oh, Thank okay. You. We'll just keep talking about this because there's, there's, there's so much uh, more. In fact, what I want to get into is what plants – we'll do that right after uh, the break. And uh, we'll get into uh, what plants people can uh, start thinking about for fall. You know, because now's the time. Actually, we've missed the launch window for some of them. We mentioned uh, that the uh, – what was it? No, um, the, um, not the broccoli, but the um, cauliflower. Some of the long-season brassicas, unless you're transplanting them, it'll be a little bit too late. But there are lots of crops you can, you can start and even direct sow in your garden up until the end of August. Uh, we have about 75 days until frost. Right. Well, 75 and, and to 90 mm-hmm. days. You know, and certainly lettuces and spinaches and things like that, that's easy. But the, some of the others are a little trickier. All right. I, I don't want to do it now because we'll, we'll do this. Let's take the break. Let's and, take the break, and then, and then we'll, and we'll ask those questions. Now, sometimes I'm just blown away by how resourceful some people can be. Take my friend, Deanna Bialchik, who is a deputy sheriff in the Cook County Juvenile Court System. She ended up as the subject of a story in the latest issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine by being a friend to butterflies. Not only did she create something called Dee's Butterfly Garden in a mobile home park in Bridgeview, she actually got a Cook County judge interested in raising butterflies in his courtroom. It's pretty cool. you got to read the story. You can also go to her Facebook page, Dee's Butterfly Garden, to see how successful she's been and how much she has learned about providing habitat for butterflies. Deanna is my hero of the week. Then you can go to my column on the inside back page and discover just how little information my brain actually retains. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest 
or the South. Try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. Did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show, and you'll get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. Looking for a housing investment that can pay big dividends? Remodel your kitchen or bathroom. You'll freshen up your home and add value to it, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling needs. Kitchens, bathrooms, master suites, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. KHJ Los Angeles. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Sir. We didn't know about a world wide web was a whole different game being played back when I was a kid. Wanna get that oh, yeah. cool way into you weren't around yet, George. Oh yeah, he's looking at Everclear <laughs> like wow, the nineties were so long ago. Wow. Grunge man. Hey, listen. Uh, I'm the guy who's listening to go, it was none of that, and back in 1970, I go, yeah, okay. I remember my first transistor radio. It was like, the, it's like, wow, I can go outside and listen to the radio. <laughs> or you How can cool. sit in bed and pull the covers up and hope nobody hears you listening to the radio. Listening to, you know, the ball game at night, you mm-hmm. know. 
Ernie Harwell and George Kell broadcasting the Detroit Tigers. Okay, there you go. So, uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show on AM Radio. Kind, AM kind of. Radio, I, so except kind I was of. going almost radio, <laughs> AM Radio. But uh, oh. it's a Q4 uh, basically online. Um, maybe someday the, we'll put the antenna up. I'm, in fact, if they ask me, I'll come and help them build the antenna here at, uh, at Q4. Uh, and we've got Lisa Hilgenberg uh, from the Chicago Botanic Garden. We're talking about the fruits and veggies, Regenstein Fruit and Veggie Garden at, uh, the, um, at the Botanic Garden. And um, we were going to talk about some of the veggies you can still uh, prepare for for the fall. I mean, I don't think we get the message out as communicators as well as we should. Uh, because for one, and, and this is something I've railed about for almost two decades now, and you've mentioned it earlier, Lisa, which is there's an opportunity, and I think that the uh, horticultural industry is missing the opportunity to sell people on fall and say fall is for planting. And it's, and it's not just ornamentals, obviously. It's, it's uh, edibles as well, because if they had starter plants that people could pick up the 1st of September, they'd still get harvests, wouldn't they? They would, absolutely. Fall is one of the best times to grow vegetables. Uh, you know, insect pests have completed their life cycle. Moisture is more plentiful as things kind of cool off in the vegetable garden. There's opportunity to sort of interplant vegetables amongst your uh tall summer vegetables uh, and give them a good start and a little bit of shade. Um, it's a great time. We have uh, 170 frost-free days uh, in Chicago, um, mid-April until the third week in October. Um, so we can anticipate frost about October 15th in the suburbs and a little bit um, later in the city. So that's a, that's a lot of growing time. Um, and I think uh, as, as your summer vegetables start to peter out, it's the time to think about planting fall vegetables. Um, really, you can plant some of the longer season fall vegetables like um, rutabaga or turnip. Um, what about beets? Beets um, would be uh, great to sow sort of mid-August. Beet likes a very cool soil to germinate. Right. So I think um, waiting until a little bit later. Um, but some of the beets are, you know, 45-day uh between 38 and 45 day um, crops, so easy to grow. And then as we approach fall and um, we have 30, 35 days, you can certainly grow um, quick crops of radish, lettuce, arugula, uh, mizuna, some of the cooler season um, crops. Um, so I encourage you to direct sow some things. It's not too late to try a little bit. Uh, a direct sow of carrot um, would be a great crop to grow. Um, Keep on growing. Yeah, um, I, and I and I plan to, and I th- and I think the idea is to let people know that uh, you you can still do that. And again, even if you can't find those, and, and I'm telling you, it's really hard. As you said, it would be great. Somebody needs to set up that business, but the people in the horticultural industry are afraid to do that because they they just don't think the market's there. And we have focused everything. On April, all right, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even lawns. I mean, you look at September 1st is when you should be working on your lawn, okay? If it cools off, you know, a, a week or two before, you can even start in the middle of August. But basically, uh, that's when, if you, if, if you like lawns, that's when you're supposed to uh, work on that. Uh, but we, 
we've got this this almost a fetish about spring because things start to grow and and, and so we tell people uh, that's that's when you got to be doing it. As the interest in edible landscaping increases, which it's still on the rise, it's it's um, it's a topic that that people are really embracing, um, and I'm trying to empower people through teaching classes at the at the school um, how to grow um, during all seasons of of the year. We taught a series of organic vegetable gardening classes, um, one in spring, summer, and fall. And people are able to take that series of classes, maybe go home with a couple of vegetable starts, um, because there is a lack in the marketplace for those products, um, and then go home and plant those just after they've learned best techniques for doing so. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, plant up until August. And then, of course, the last thing to go in your vegetable garden. And you you mean uh, uh, um, uh, edibles? Edibles. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, till the end of August. Yeah. And if we're talking about uh, trees and shrubs, fall is a great time. Exactly. That that, that, that was my point is that, yeah, Yeah. you can go well into the fall with trees and shrubs. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the whole, and again, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm, I'm making too much of a point of this, that you could, the garden industry could say fall is when you get so much done because planting trees and shrubs is great. Planting perennials just early enough to get them established and then, and, and doing things like adding compost uh, to your soil so that it's ready for the spring and that sort of stuff. Uh, this is all fall activity that these places could be making money doing. But the problem is, as you know, Lisa, as June comes around and they're looking at Christmas. Uh, which is weird, or or you know, or harvest. They're looking at Halloween, and you, you think, well, and I and, and that's not literally. I mean, but they have that in their heads, and 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 the idea is, because that's where culture has taken people. That oh, fall well, well, harvest scarecrows. Well, yeah, but the problem is that people get burned out on gardening in June, uh, and and they stop going to garden centers. Well, we're being driven by sort of that retail mm-hmm. market yeah. instead of thinking about what's horticulturally correct and, and uh, looking at the, the months of the year. Um, in the fruit and vegetable garden, we're planting what you should have in your garden now. That's our goal as we're planting those crops um, and successively planting those. You won't see tomatoes in early spring because tomatoes should be planted you know, on June 7th. Um, so we're, we're planting what you should be growing. Um, you can get ideas and uh, come on over and have a look at, at uh, oh, 400 different vegetable plants. <laughs> <laughs> that she tends herself. Okay, folks. And I have a great team. I have 35 horticulture volunteers and, and a team of four people who help out uh, beekeeping volunteers. And so it's a collaborative effort. So you have you – have- uh, yeah. t- t- uh, the bees as well. I was going to say, how is the hive doing this year? Well, we have eight hives, Good. so we have a beautiful apiary there. Um, we harvest very little honey because really um, our pollinators are making uh, honey so that they can live over the winter um, instead of feeding us. So um, we're very careful about this precious project, and the message is delivered to a million visitors a year as they walk through the garden and see those hives. Um, and it's interesting that the community uh, communities. Uh, surrounding Chicago are really uh, embracing the idea of public beekeeping um, in community gardens and and uh, church gardens and public spaces. And I think you know I commend all of those uh, communities who are loosening their laws and making it possible for beekeepers to um, set up hives um, 
you know, in urban spaces, it's so important. Um, how's your mortality rate been with the um, bees? You know, we've had, again, we have eight. Last year, uh, seven went into the winter. We'd lost one before uh, winter started. So seven went in and three overwintered. So uh, the national average is about 25% overwintering, and ours is about 33%. I've had as high, I've, uh, in the five years that I've been tending these hives, we've had, um, I've had five out of seven overwinter. So we've had some really great percentages. Again, I feel that it's because we're not um, opening the hives too much. We're not introducing problems. Uh, we're not harvesting too heavily. Mm-hmm. And then we're um, blocking the north wind with uh, straw. And we have just an awesome beekeeper, Ann Stevens and Jeanette Thornton Schwab, who take care of the hives. We have a new uh, man, James Brooks, who's going to join the team. Um, and he uh, brings a wealth of knowledge. And so uh, the Chicago Botanic Garden is really lucky to have these folks uh, tending our hives. Uh, no, 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 go ahead. I, uh, I was just going to say that a third of our food crops are pollinated by, by bees, as, as everybody knows. And so right. they're just important pollinators. And um, we have two orchards at the fruit and vegetable garden, um, a really large apple orchard uh, with 45 varieties. And then I've just installed a new stone fruit orchard um, as well. So we've got uh, lots of fruit crops, um, rubus and ribes and, and strawberries, um, blueberry. Oh, my. So... <laughs> rubus and ribes and what, what, what was that okay <laughs> something in rubus and ribes oh my all right pay no attention lisa Keep uh, going. i'm sorry i'm just I like street yeah, i know it's just you're very clever uh no no i'm not uh, i I'll, i'm gonna shut off my own mic here for, in a second uh george just put, put a what are those tomatoes from george uh he put something on the wanna, instagram adam Oh, Heis, I'm not sure. I oh, so well, that was sent to us. Yeah. yeah, and Casey Tomato has sent us tomato but photos on the Twitter machine. Now the following t- or uh, posting their well, yields good, from good. their garden. And Sarah Botka has uh, yeah. posted some stuff too. Uh, Sarah said, uh, "Season extension guide for backyard growers from uh, Extension Illinois." She's got it up there. Um, we should uh, retweet that. Uh, so if you go to uh, Illinois Extension, wow, this is great. Winter production guidelines. Nice. Um, Thanks, Sarah. Uh, and and she's got fall planting dates for winter production in high tunnels and overwintering dates for low tunnels in Chicago. Very specific here. Good for you. Look at that. And cool season crops fall planting chart. Uh, seeding windows like for beets is from eight eight to nine fifteen. Carrots seven twenty one to eight ten. Swiss chart seven twenty four to eight fifteen. So there's, we're right in that window right now where you can get those seeds out. Exactly. That's why we taught the class yesterday. Everybody went home empowered to start some of these plants in their garden. Uh, it's not too late. Um, make a goal of eating something from your garden, an herb or a berry or a vegetable, every day. This is uh, Sarah, by the way. I'm glad you're listening. I don't know if she's listening or just tweeting. Uh, but it's 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 just great. Uh, thanks for sending it. And Casey Tomato sent uh those uh, photos, too. Appreciate that, Casey. Um, one of the things you talked about, and boy, we're, we're getting close to the end here. Um, we, let, let's get to uh, uh, the uh, opening coming up uh, in just a few weeks. This is not really your specialty, but I promised your friends uh, in the PR department <laughs> <laughs> at Chicago Botanic Garden. And by the way, uh, you should know that's uh, chicagobotanic.org. 
uh, is is the uh, website if you want to go there. And um, the, I also Facebook and Twitter and uh, a gazillion things. Uh, but coming up in September is the opening of uh, a brand new garden, and it's called uh, the Regenstein Learning Campus. What's that all about, Lisa? Well, it's it's really excited. We're looking forward to September 10th and 11th uh, for the opening of that new campus. Um, it's a, um, a seven-acre hub for plant-based community and civic engagement intergenerational learning and hands-on coursework health and wellness activities um so we're we're looking forward to many classes uh, showcasing the gardens education programs so the school of the botanic garden will be moving into this uh, new campus and um, we'll be highlighting uh, some of the classes that we offer uh, yoga tai chi photography uh, botanical drawing, um, sort of intergenerational learning one, and, one of your folks um, uh, uh, and Julie McCaffrey said she wants to teach me a something called nature play. And I said, uh, now I'm frightened. Uh, and so there's, you're going to be able to do some nature playing over there. Don't be afraid to get dirty. Okay. I'll, br- I'll bring the dirty jeans when I go <laughs> or the shorts. Uh, so, uh, and that, as you said, happens on the 10th. Uh, and 11th of September. Now, that's sort of the grand opening? That's the, exactly. Um, so from 10 until 4, um, you know, you can explore the campus. Visitors can come and hear live music, look at the garden, uh, participate in a scavenger hunt. Um, there will be a variety of music for children and adults. And then also Windy City Harvest will have one of their wonderful, bountiful um, market stands uh, that that weekend. Will you have some of the produce from your garden there too? I certainly hope so. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, we could go into Windy City Harvest as well. That's like a whole another area. Uh, uh, but uh, we don't have time. Uh, but I, I, I want to thank uh, Lisa Hilkenberg for for being here. Uh, you need to go out to the Chicago Botanic Garden, especially for uh, the heirloom tomato weekend on uh, August 27th to 28th and meet her and get a tour of uh, the tomatoes garden and, well, the whole vegetable garden there, and she'll take you past the cool tomatoes. Uh, but just go on out on your own, even when she's not there, and take a look because anybody can walk through at any time, right? It's open uh, from sunrise until 6 p.m., so come before um, before it closes at 6. Before the gate's and, closed. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful place to be. It's a living laboratory mm-hmm. of... of uh, all kinds of different plants. It's a it's a great place to call my office. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Yeah. Now, do you look out on it, or do you have the desk right in the middle of the tomatoes? I yeah, I sit outside with the tomatoes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of tomatoes, here's an overripe one on the line here. Let's bring in meteorologist, uh, airsats meteorologist Bill Turk. How you doing, Bill? <laughs> Good, buddy. How are you? I don't know. After taking a shot at me like that, if I even want to give the uh, give the weather here, man. <laughs> okay, that's all the time we have. Good night, everybody. <laughs> talk to me, Bill. Don't talk to Mike. <laughs> well, you know what? I have to I have to credit Peggy because I was on the bike. It's an absolutely beautiful morning out there. A uh, little bit on the humid side, but not 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 too much for a, for a workout. It's about perfect. I was on the bike about the last mile out. I heard uh, I heard Peggy. It was a uh, you know say call into the show. So it was a it was a great incentive. I pushed that last mile. So thanks, Peggy, for uh, you know topping off my workout nicely. And um, so here I am. 
raced raced into the house and because you up all my stuff. When's the last time you got to do a weather report on a radio show? Uh, just when I was doing the random weather um, on on my old radio show, where we would just call small businesses and people at random, musical guests and musical friends. Um, and ask them what the weather was like, and they're part of the neighborhood, so you know or they're part of the world. So that was uh, that's as close as I've I've got. Now I have to say this, and I can never I, I would never even attempt to hold a candle to Rick DeMaio. So, um, but I, I do have to say this: I, I used to rely on uh, Rick's expertise at United Airlines for a time, and then some of the other people that he's worked with in the meteor uh, meteorology department, um, and then. You know, I got to work with some great people at Lufthansa for for weather, doing logistics around the planet. So I, I did become a, a little bit of a weather geek here. So um, okay, well then let's uh, give us a little bit of a forecast. So, so let's well let's do it. Yeah, a little bit of a forecast. Um, we've got an absolutely beautiful day today. Uh, like I said, uh, the the humidity is a little bit high, running around uh, the the mid to late sixty. Uh, 60%-ish, uh, I think we're at about 68, 69% right now humidity, which is starting to get into that uncomfortable mark. Anything, I think anything uh, over about 60%, I start getting uncomfortable um, if you're out working. But if you're out for a workout, this is perfect. You, you'll, you'll start sweating out whatever you did the night before. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow, and <laughs> tomorrow Monday, we start the we start the week with another really nice day. Uh, but the humidity starts building, and it's going to build through uh, through most of the week as the heat returns here just a little bit. Um, nothing. I don't think anything to be concerned about. Uh, looks like it's going to be a little bit stormy on uh, on Tuesday as the front moves through. Uh, we get up to about eighty seven, and we peak on Thursday at about ninety degrees. Uh, and that humidity is uh, is up there. It's 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 up there in uh, around 82 percent on Wednesday, which is uh, which is going to make it really uncomfortable. So find uh, put something comfortable on and find some place to put up your feet and uh, chill out for a Wednesday, which could also be a stormy day here for a little bit. But the nice the uh, the good news is is that all of that settles down going into the into next weekend. Uh, and it looks like we're going to have uh, just as beautiful of, of a weekend uh, shaping up for us um, next week that we had had this week. Uh, dry, partly sunny, um, temperatures in the in the, the upper 70s and, and low 80s. Um, so I, that's that's my uh, that's my uh, my forecast for for the week. All right. Well, the, well uh, all, yeah. all we have to Go do ahead. is gut out the middle of the week, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the middle of the week. Once we get past Wednesday, it's uh, it's it's a down it's a good downhill slide um, into a really nice weekend next weekend. So politically, I can't say we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna do any better. It looks like we're going to hell in a handbasket there. But <laughs> okay, you got the bearding. Well, you know, Rick always sneaks in a political political comment as well. So I I, I, I could does. I couldn't have you without that, Bill Turk. Thank hey, you a little bit. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if I could throw this in real quick uh, sure. on your on your Facebook page, I, sh- uh, I shared with you since um, since you you've been so instrumental in the in the uh, uh, banning of the banning of the plastic bags here in Chicago um, and the effort to do that there uh, this week in BBC uh, uh, on the BBC homepage. There's a there's a great article uh, plastic bag use plummets in England. 
um, since they uh, they instituted a uh, a five uh, uh, five pence charge here, um, which is nominal. Um, but uh, but the the savings in bags, seven point six four billion bags this year um, will be saved uh, in England. That's a behavioral change. That's mm-hmm. a change in culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think that's that's what you've been you've been fighting so hard for here. Well, it hasn't happened in Chicago because we did a um, you know an end the well the bag people did an end around and actually with the help of a, an alderman who shall remain nameless uh, who passed the bag law and now you know we just have thicker bags in uh, plastic bags yeah, in Chicago. Yeah. Um, that that and and I'm going to have to have. Uh, Jordan Parker on the show from Bring Your Bag Chicago because she's the one who follows this a lot more closely than uh, I do, and I'm going to have her on, and we'll we'll talk about the state of the bags in Chicago. But it's in it's an ongoing process. The the law we currently is. have is terribly flawed. It needs to be fixed. But uh, that's a, that's a great uh, uh, article there, uh, Bill, and I appreciate that uh, information. I got to let you go because we're running out. Of, we're already over time here, but uh, and, you guys are great. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. And uh, that's our AirSats meteorologist, <laughs> Bill Turk. All right. Peggy, before we go. Just wanted to mention um, August 3rd, you can play a key role in shaping the future of the clean energy economy. There's going to be a huge rally downtown at the Federal Plaza on August 3rd because this has to do with the Clean Energy Incentives Program, or CEIP, CEEP, CEEP, CEEP. I'm not, I don't know. Could um, be SIPE. You never know. So the EPA is having an open hearing that day. Um, it's the the SIP is a voluntary action program where they're working with zero emission renewable energy projects, looking specifically at how it affects communities that have been affected highly by coal powered plants, uh, lower economic communities, social justice, and environment. So it's a very Environmental friendly hearing, uh, groups like Union of Concerned Scientists, Sierra Club, NRDC, Illinois Solar Energy Association, the list goes on, are all going to be at the hearing, which is open to the public. Um, and the rally is starts at noon at Federal Plaza, 219 South Dearborn, down in the city. Anyone's allowed to come? Anyone's encouraged to come? I know there's buses coming from Clean Power Lake County in Waukegan. It's a, a big deal, places. huh? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, if you do want to attend the hearing, you need to have a photo ID with you to come in. Absolutely. Okay, so if you're interested, again, uh, rally at noon at the Federal Plaza, 219 South Dearborn. That's the corner of Dearborn and Adams. And then the hearing is in the U.S. EPA Region 5 office. Usually folks will come to the rally and not necessarily yeah. go to the hearing. Which is, yeah. But that's okay. And if you Google it, Sierra Club has a ton of things, faithinplace.org, uh, Illinois Solar Energy Association. You can't miss it if you Google the CEIP August 3rd Clean Energy Rally in Chicago because e- EPA is coming to Chicago only for the hearing. Okay. Uh, End of the show. Go green or go Go home. home.